Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. It's rainy, it's wet, but it's good to be with you nonetheless. Sports Talk Mississippi, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey with you for the first hour. Richard Cross was off doing some important show business. He will be here to start likely the 4 o'clock hour and with you for the rest of the day and the rest of the week. Sports Talk. Man, we got a lot to get to today. A reaction Monday. It's opening week for baseball. We got a couple of hoops wins we got to cover tonight, uh, or excuse me, cover this afternoon. We got a big game coming up on Tuesday night, the Egg Bowl of Basketball, or something like that, coming up tomorrow night. Uh, of course, baseball coming up this weekend. We've got some interesting stuff going on in the college football world as far as a coaching search goes winners and losers coming up at the top of the hour at four o'clock and a whole lot more with you so guys what's up on a monday flooding is that what's up my gosh it will not stop raining i'm expecting an arc to come down highway 12 at any minute Did you take your kayak to the studio today <laughs> i have a pontoon boat thank you very much <laughs> Man, I'm starting to get frustrated because my front yard drains extremely well. I sit up on a little hill, and my backyard does not drain well at all, terribly, in fact. But since usually if we do get a period of heavy rain that, you know, sunny and hot, it it dries out, no big deal. I haven't been able to do any kind of yard work for weeks. Like, I want to lay down my, uh, my weed and feed and just do basic, like, winter transitioning to spring yard maintenance. And I tried to do some yesterday because it didn't rain on Saturday, and it didn't rain yesterday, and it, my yard's like a bog right now. I mean, I'm surprised. I will not be shocked, like, if the next crawfish boils at my house because I just reach down and grab them and then throw them into the pot. Like, I need to start bringing my fishing pole to the backyard instead of to the pond down the road. I can't do anything. And it's frustrating the heck out of me because I'm a big yard guy. It's like my therapy. I love doing yard work. And I can't do any of it. So I'm stuck inside watching XFL football all day now. I mean, it could be worse. There are worse things to be doing. Rippy, what's, uh, what's on your mind today? Not a whole lot. I watched some XFL football. Didn't do a whole lot. My backyard's flooded, too. But Did you pick a team? really. I was deterred for yard work for other reasons besides it being flooded, but it's uh, it's a good thing we got rid of that pool. <laughs> Speaking of the XFL, uh, they already made a coaching change, at least the defensive coordinator. Pepper Johnson was fired by the Los Angeles Wildcats today. Doesn't that feel like a an overreaction? <laughs> I mean, that to me is something that 
you know, obviously there has to be a process, right? The the team lets the league know, hey, we're doing this, so they can put whatever releases out. Somebody from the league has got to go. Look, we're trying to act like a real football league here. Now, it's one thing when you're in the NFL and you've got a hundred years of history, you can probably get away with some week one changes if things are that bad. But a little continuity for continuity's sake is not a bad thing here. Maybe maybe let them have one more game to see how it goes. Unless he got arrested, which I don't I don't know the story behind the decision, but. Shouldn't somebody in the league go, guys, let's let's wait six days and just see what happens. The release said they parted ways with Mr. Johnson. Uh, underscoring Haydad's point, doesn't that sound like maybe this guy was like, yeah, actually. Like, obviously, because the, the mutually parting away things has become basically just a beard or a mask for, hey, we fired you to kind right. of, like, save face with opposing fan bases. But in this case, it's one game into one season. Like... They did give up 37 points to the Houston Roughnecks over the weekend. Uh, maybe I mean, the that Roughnecks drove him into retirement. In the league, yeah, they could be. You but know who's not just, the best team in the league? The Tampa Bay Vipers. Or the Dallas Renegades. Which were the two favorites, if I'm not mistaken, to win the league going into the year. How did they determine the lines, by the way? So a nine-and-a-half-point line for the first game ever? How does that happen? I just looked at the rosters and they looked at, for Dallas especially. Like uh, they looked at Bob Stoops, they were like, "This guy is obviously the best of this bunch of coaches, so we'll put some trust in him, some faith." I wonder if they thought Landry Jones was going to play too. There's that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dallas they had no did... faith in uh, Tiamu or Fitzgerald. He got in too. Yeah, hey, all of his highlights were made in the post game locker room celebration, which was fantastic. <laughs> I thought in that case was hilarious. you missed it, there's video of. Uh, the two backup quarterbacks uh, from uh, St. Louis just pounding beer. Well, they're not beers, right? They're Bud Light Seltzers. Bud Light Seltzer. Not even White Claws. They're, just, they're Bud Light Seltzer. And Fitzgerald's doing the shotgun thing with his teeth, and they're just, I mean, slapping the beers he, together. And he, bit a, he bashed it in on his head, then bit it open. That's a real man. <laughs> I, mean, I don't care what the drink is. You know, if you're doing that with a Coca Cola, you're still, that's pretty manly. You want to be a part of the conversation, you can. 601-879-4395. That's the C Spire text line. 601-879-4395. But today, especially, do not text and drive. Be a part of the show. Just do it safely. Uh, there are There's standing water, at least all over my commute, on the way to the office earlier today. So if I had it, you probably do too. Uh, but we would, we would love to hear... From you also about to put up the poll question, haven't done it yet, but the starting poll question of the day is simply this, and I'll turn it over to you guys. Did the XFL do enough this weekend to get you to come back? Are you going to watch next weekend? Yes, definitely, maybe, or no? Was was enough done this weekend for you to keep coming back? 100% yes. I will watch week two for sure. I thought so, too. I like the different concept. I like the kickoff. I like going for a one, two, and three. I enjoyed like the loose nature of the broadcast in terms of like not scared to refer to whatever the line was or Pat McAfee being on the field half the time. And then I found myself like, I mean, like rooting for Jordan Tiamu. He's a good dude. I enjoyed covering him. I, I kind of got sucked into that game yesterday, kind of wanting him to do well. And I, I found it interesting. The quality of play was high enough, too, that it was, it was not an yeah. eyesore. That was like not any worse. Than, I was say, it's, that's not any worse than you'll see on any Saturday in, in, in the country if you're watching, you know, 
Illinois versus Rutgers. That the quality of play we saw on uh, on on in the XFL is higher than that, and I I would watch Illinois Rutgers if it was on. So yeah, I'm in. I saw. So I, go ahead. Uh, I just had. A, I was going to ask y'all. I had this random thought. So they they kept mentioning that you could throw two passes forward. Did you ever actually see that? Like they kept threatening it, I but saw, the games I watched, I like never saw it. There was a play where it was in the first game. The uh, what was what was the first game? DC versus uh, whoever they played. Um, and DC they ran played a, Seattle. Right. They ran that little shovel pass, and the guy coming around, you could see guys out in the pattern for like an RPO. But he decided the whoever I think it was Donnell Pumphrey, he just decided to cut up. He he felt like he had a lane and he cut up and and just ran the ball. But there that play was just, I, I saw the play in action, but they didn't they did not attempt to throw the ball. Yeah, I just they kept explaining the rule and I was like, stop teasing me! Like someone pull this out of the bag. I want to see <laughs> it's, it. It's going to happen soon. It's going to happen. No no question. I, I saw Clay Travis make this comparison this morning. I think it's actually a, a really good one as far as the quality of play. Uh, so you have people that said, well, you know, the football is just not good enough. I'm not going to watch because it's not as good. But what if you just had the exact same game? Pick any game you watched this weekend, the exact same game, but moved it to November, and you put a star on one team's helmet and a big G on another team's helmet. Would right. you have been able to tell the difference? That, that's that's a good point. That we're, we're nitpicking the quality of play sometimes because of the of what these teams are. And honestly, I mean, a Bengals versus Dolphins game in Week 15, like they had last year, <laughs> how much higher quality of play are we really talking about? Hey, hey, the, don't don't talk junk about Fitzmagic, okay? Right. I thought it showed up in some of the passing games, like some of the receivers in this league. I'm not necessarily knocking it, but like the where I would tell the biggest difference, the receivers kind of stunk. It made you appreciate NFL wide receivers. I grant that. Brian and Carrollton says, first of all, kudos to the XFL. Loved the kickoff. Enjoyed being able to hear the replay official. It was football. It was exciting. Can't wait to watch next weekend. Philip and Starkville says, does firing coaches after the first game make you think they are doing what's best to make the league last? Or does it scream a bit of fear? What do you guys think? I, it's I don't know. If fear is the right word. It just feels like it just feels sort of unprofessional. Was the, the word I would use? You know, I mean, the NFL is highly unlikely to fire a coordinator after week one unless there is some sort of personal issue there. He got arrested. He did. He got DUI. He came in and told them we're putting up a bounty system, something like that. Not just <laughs> we give up thirty-seven points. You got to go. More of your texts when we come back. We'll also look at the two hoops wins over the weekend. Uh, two different ways, but comfortable wins nonetheless for both Mississippi State and Old Miss. Setting up a matchup uh, tomorrow night that looks a lot more interesting than it did maybe at this point last week. So we'll get into all that next at Sports Talk Mississippi. Do not go anywhere. Or 68% of you in the poll have said, yes, definitely, we'll watch the XFL again. 27% say you maybe will watch, and 4.8% say no. So really good early reviews from uh, our listening audience, anyway, on the XFL. I'm curious around here, like if we do the same poll next Monday, how much of you actually watched the XFL this coming weekend because baseball? Uh 
So we will uh, we'll find out then. I'm going to make a note to make sure I ask you again a week from today how much XFL you watched and whether or not baseball had an impact on that. Preston and Fulton, you get us started this segment with the text line. You say, or you're asking for ratings from the XFL. He loved it, and he'll be watching all season. So they did, I think the, the average number was about 3.5 million, which is good. It's better than, well, almost every NBA game this year, for example. Football is always king in this country. The problem is, or the concern is, that's barely better than what the AAF did in their debut last year. And the AAF fell completely off a cliff starting in week two. And by week four, was awful. Just a blip on the radar, non-existent as far as television viewership goes. So a really strong opening weekend. I mean, three and a half million people is a big number for this time of year. You don't have sports programming that draws three and a half million people this time of year. It doesn't exist. So good opening weekend. The biggest challenge for the XFL is next weekend. Can they draw similar numbers moving forward? And that'll tell you about how well they really did on the opening weekend. Yeah, that's what happened with AAF, right? They had a great opening weekend, and the second weekend it was it was way, way down. But the thing to remember with this is that the XFL sort of already has their ducks in a row as far as, you know, the league being funded and they have the, I mean they have real TV partners that are Wait, you mean be, they you know, don't need to get a hockey owner to come in and throw them a Hail Mary just to fold it a few weeks later? Well, I mean, with this being the XFL, I would expect Vince McMahon to like, you know, go out and find out that uh I'm trying to think of who's uh, who's rich. I got you know, I'm trying to work an angle here for you guys, but I don't know. <laughs> One of the people from Shark Tank. Yeah, well some like yeah, Mark Cuban comes in. And, and, you know, they have a match at WrestleMania to see who gets control of the... You can work a whole storyline out of it. <laughs> we get a couple of endorsements here. Uh, just a big, solid yes from somebody in the 662 uh, up in Corinth. Thank you for listening there. Another, I loved the XFL. Darren and Jackson forgot that it was this weekend. Lonnie wants to know who won the Dallas game. That was... The St. Louis, uh, St. Louis Battlehawks. So Dallas lost. Really cool setting, though, being at the ballpark in Arlington. Yeah, some of the some of the stadiums were cool. Like the, the DC stadium is a soccer stadium. It, it nice, intimate setting. Uh, I thought I thought I thought I thought everything was was really smooth this week, which is what they had to want. Oh yeah, except for Dylan Day's f bomb. But conspiracy theory. What wasn't smooth about that? He See, smoothly dropped it in. Well, that too, and then his hair. But yeah. I kind of think it, maybe. If they were trying to stop it, as Rippy told me this morning, and I agree with him, they either were okay with it and let it happen or are not mad that it did. Because it created a viral moment that people started talking about the league on social media. I think they want whatever it takes to get them, people interested in them, they will allow. So even if they have to, like, you know, pretend that they didn't want it out there and they hit the delay button like three seconds after to. Yeah. I guess protect them from the federal government. I have a feeling they were okay with that happening because it created just another conversation piece about the league. Hey, do you see that Dylan Day guy with the long blonde hair drop the f bomb on TV? Just saying. Yeah, it, 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 you're probably not wrong. Text here from the six six two XFL is not playing. Already firing coordinators. <laughs> uh, Richard Wiggins, the only negative response we've gotten so far, says he's parting ways. Lucas in Union says, give me more Pat McAfee. Inject that dude into my veins. 
replay was cool too. Hearing the play calls, always heard how Mummy's playbook was simple, but when they'd complete a pass and he would just say, "Hey, do it again, do it again," like that took simplicity to a whole other level. Yeah, I wonder if MSU <laughs> fans were watching to get an idea of what they're going to see this fall. It is pretty cool, though. How I, I saw this, and it's a similar kind of concept. Um, somebody shared a video from UCF's offense this year. And they ran the exact same play or route concept three times in a row. But what they did is they picked on the corner that was closest to their sideline and they replaced the receiver that he was guarding all three times. So three different receivers ran a route on the same corner three straight plays in a row. And the first play was, it was just a long, just a fly route. They just took this dude and ran him off. And so he's walking back for play number two with his hands on his hips, breathing hard. But what UCF did was bring in a new receiver. And they ran a route, and the corner had threw it to him again, and the corner had to make a play. They pull that receiver out, put another receiver in the game, and run another route and complete another pass. So they picked on that one corner, running the same route tree. It was a choice route, so it was either a flyer or a little in route on the same corner with three fresh receivers. So it was the same play, but the the galaxy brain kind of manipulation that they did to make that work is fascinating to me. Three fresh receivers on one gassed corner. So it's a simple offense, but when you do stuff like that, it's hard to stop. There you go. And that's that's the plan for Mississippi State this fall is to just consistently attack, 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 and we'll see if they've got the uh, the horses to make it happen. We do get another submission from Twitter, which is going to add to my catalog of internet names from Monkeys Riding Dogs, and he would like to chime in that they were definitely doing some hitting. Thank you, Mr. Riding Dogs. Uh, text here that says, By no means am I still crying about the AAF's failure, but since ESPN has money in the XFL game, they really gave it their all from a production standpoint. He says he believes the AAF was cut short before it even had a chance but he might be a bitter Memphis Express fan. He's right. That's rather, but that's also one of the advantages the XFL has in terms of survival is they better equip. They secured a much better and favorable television deal. See, Philip and Starkville. By the way, th- this is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm worried about. He says while he's entertained by the XFL, the thing that will hurt him in particular moving forward is college basketball ramping up, and especially in this state, college baseball is here. So what kind of numbers do the XFL bring in when March Madness is going on? In this state, sure. But in the the nation, college baseball is just a – it's not even a blip on the radar. Now, obviously, when March Madness heats up, that's going to be, you know – the ratings will be down for everything else, but I think that would be true for like the NBA and every anything else. I mean, and baseball will be starting to you know yep. crank up a, a little bit closer to that. So yeah, I, I don't think that's a huge huge issue there. King Biscuit, a man of many hobbies, said there were other things to do this weekend, so I didn't give it a second thought. Keith Invaden, he says his son. Oh, he's talking about that Super Bowl ring that we mentioned on Friday. Show Keith, uh, thank you for listening. Now I'll respond to you here in a second. Tony and Clara says the transparency from it all. From replay to coach to player interaction, all the audio was what uh, what he liked the most about it. The best thing about the XFL, according to Adam and Baldwin, is no Chris Collinsworth. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Dang, that's tough. Uh, Michael and Popperville said Dallas had the best-looking uniforms. Tend to agree there. From the 662, Nick Fitzgerald is looking like Stone Cold Steve Austin. 
And Eric in Madison says, I'll watch more. I like how just about everybody's mic'd up. Wouldn't want to be the guy responsible for the delay button. It's going to, it's going to take some Speaking of guys responsible or people responsible, I like that the ball spotting official. Get the get the ball spotted. Let's go. 25-second play clock. That was something else that I enjoyed. Another tweak of the game that I found enjoyable. Something uh, coming up. If we get to it today, I hope we do. Um, Sean Payton actually uh, is, is on the NFL competition committee and said that the technology is coming in the NFL that would put microchips in the ball to help them with accurate spotting and um, goal line, whether or not the ball crossed the plane, and field goals where the ball travels higher up than the goalpost extends, and the goalpost would light up like the NBA to say whether or not the kick was good. That is all technology yeah. that is coming in the NFL, according to him. That's The pace that's, of the game was surprise. nice. And yeah. you could, well, I was just going to say, the pace of the game was nice, and so when you do the ball spotting thing, you can afford to do the last two-minute things where you saw... I believe if you got like a first down or maybe it was just any play, the clock stopped in the last two minutes until five seconds went off the play clock. Did y'all see that one? Like tweak? Did not. Yeah. Which is kind of cool because it leaves you in the game for longer, but obviously that's part of college football's problem is the games are too long. But when you do other things like that to speed it up, I guess you can afford stuff like that. Chad and Ponitalk says golf is king from now until the open. I think under 60 days until the Masters. 59, 58, somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, yep, same weekend as Super Bulldog. I gotta, it's going to be a busy weekend for me. Oh, man. Wait till Masters doesn't really start until Rinaldi's commercials come on that are just like poems that sound nice but don't actually make any sense. That's when it's really kind of Masters <laughs> season. <laughs> I teased hoops. We will get to hoops next at Sports Talk Mississippi. Don't go anywhere. Here we go. Let's talk some hoops now. Ole Miss, Mississippi State both get wins over the weekend. And we'll start with the early game. I think it was a 1 o'clock tip, so Rippy had to miss the first part of the XFL. I missed the double pass. You missed the double pass, of course. Ole Miss gets a 68-51 win over Florida. Outside of a very early lead for the Gators, Ole Miss kind of relatively dominant throughout. You had a, a... Ho-hum game from Brian Tyree, 23 points on 9 of 19 shooting. Hit four of his six triples. Had four rebounds. No assists on the game, though. K.J. Buffin had his best game in an Ole Miss uniform, according according to Kermit Davis. After the game, 14 points, 9 boards. Schuler added 14 more himself with five assists. Blake Henson had another uh, decent game for him. He's starting to put... Uh, good games together. His shot selection has gotten better. He added nine points at Ole Miss, Rippy. I mean, just dominate Florida. Yeah, I, I guess if you were, as we've been kind of saying for the last couple of weeks, this is an interesting team because they're not as bad as their record, and they've struggled to finish off games. We've kind of talked that into the ground, but if you needed further evidence of that, I think this was the case. It just seems like this team probably had about a four-week stretch, I'm thinking mid-December, which they got away with some of it playing some bad teams to early January, maybe three weeks, where they were just really bad, and then since then have been a combination of bad and unlucky, but it's finally kind of rounding into form. But really was a couple possessions away from having two wire-to-wire wins this week. They didn't trail against South Carolina. I think Florida led 5-1 to one and then didn't lead after that, but probably their most complete performance of the season, definitely from a defensive perspective, they kept... Uh, Kerry Blackshear in check. He was wasn't much of a factor in this game. 
you know, they kept Florida's backcourt in check as well. Bree and Tyree kind of welcomed the assignment of guarding Andrew, uh, his last name's escaping now, in Nimhart. There we go. Nimhart. Nimhart, yeah. And, you know, I mean, 51 points, that's pretty good. Florida kind of helped them out a little bit. That Florida did not play very well, but at the same time, you got to give them credit. They're, they're kind of rounding into form. And we, we played this game on the podcast, I know earlier, Borky, but like, Man, if you just even, as many mishaps as they had, the four double-digit leads, if you just finish off the Auburn game and not even one more, you're kind of almost back on the radar, but they're just feels like they're a level too deep to really get back in any sort of postseason picture. If they got really hot, you could go conceivably get in the NIT or something like that, but they're going to be an interesting team down the stretch because they're going to play quite a few teams, I think, that are going to be on the NCAA tournament bubble and they, you know, either help out or kind of help squash some NCAA tournament dreams. They're going to be an interesting watch the rest of the year, if nothing else. Yeah, they. I mean, they could go two and zero this week, which is, as you can imagine, not particularly likely with Mississippi State, uh, who has potentially the SEC Player of the Year. More on him in a second, and then you have to go to Kentucky. But I, you know, if they could, then maybe they get back in the conversation. But to your point, change the Auburn outcome. And then whatever the hell happened in College Station. I mean, change that result, just those two, and that's still keeping two double-digit second-half leads that you gave up on your resume. And, I mean, they're at least on the bubble right now. So you've got to be kicking yourself every day knowing that you handed four basketball games over, and if you just change the result of two of them, you're having a completely different conversation. Yep. So, I don't really know what to expect going forward. They will. I doubt that. I don't think they'll be favored in either of these games. I think that's safe to say. I don't necessarily see them winning either one of them. But like, I, State's probably honestly the best example of what I was talking about a second ago. State's a team that, with the way their schedule sets up, is kind of just trying to avoid pitfalls. Not too many huge quality wins left or opportunities, I should say, left on the schedule. And like you know, a road game at Ole Miss is the kind of game where you really need to play well and kind of get that one out of the way because it's probably not going to be as easy as you know heading to a Missouri or something like that. So yeah, I mean they'll they'll be interesting down the stretch. It's just you know they're a couple possessions away from actually kind of being a bubble team, which is at one point two and sixteen was on the table with this group. Well, they're one and seven. I was like, are they going to get to three wins? How's this going to go? Yeah, and uh, have completely changed and. Quite frankly, they're just now kind of playing like the team most people thought that they were going to be. It's just taken them a little bit of time to get to that point. Speaking of Mississippi State, they get a win over Vanderbilt. Kind of sleptwalked a little bit, hey, Dad, through the first half, but uh, they shot 53, 36, and 76. Uh, that's their shooting split. So anytime you do that, you're probably going to win the game, and they did so comfortably on Saturday. Yeah, just another, you know, they, they went to the first half and they had the lead for most of it. And I thought, okay, they're going to actually get into the first half, get to the locker room with the lead. And then they had about a five minute brain fart, for lack of a better word, where they just gave it away to Vanderbilt and Vandy gets the lead going into the locker room. But then State just came out and did what they've pretty much done all year, which is dominate the second half and, and, and get the win. Uh, I found it interesting what, what Rippy was saying about talking about two games. Look at Mississippi State, two buzzer beaters. If either one of them had gone State's way, I think we're, we're very comfortably talking about MSU in the tournament. As it is, they're still very much a, a bubble team. The last bracketology that Joe Lenardi released earlier today had State actually in the first four out, um, which I found interesting because he still had Florida in. 
And Florida, you know, has sort of fallen apart here. They, they lose at Ole Miss. And, of course, State has a head-to-head win at Florida. So that'll be something yeah, to explain that. Monitor. Does Florida have some kind of impressive win that – not that I'm aware of. Not, I mean, I, I don't know Florida's resume top to bottom, but I'm sure that, I think their strength of schedule because they played some marquee non-conference games is a little bit better. But they, I don't know that they have a win that stands out, which is what you know it's supposed to be about. I put together, I put an article up together on uh, SuperTalk.fm where I just sort of laid everything out as far as the numbers go. The NCAA ter- tournament field that Andy Katz does, he has State in right now as an 11 seed in the Midwest Regional. Uh, Ken Palm has him at 38. ESPN BPI has them at 33, and the BPI predicts their final record is 22 and nine. Uh, they only have them losing one more game, which would be at Arkansas. They have this game. Rippy was asking about being a favorite. Uh, State is a is a 64.4 percent chance to win on uh, on Tuesday night. But that said, State. I, I think of a game a couple years ago where State went up to Ole Miss and. Uh, Gave away a double-digit lead, and, and that ended up being a game that I feel was was costly for MSU. Uh, when it came to tournament time, they ended up going to the NIT because that was not a good Ole Miss team. That was AK's last year. Uh, last year, they were actually able to win in Oxford for the first time in quite a while. Uh, so State needs this game. This is a big game for Mississippi State. And the other thing is this. State's got a lot of momentum right now as far as the fan base. The last two home games have had good crowds. No easier way to squander that, right, than to lose at Ole Miss to a team that, you know, is going to be perceived as, as a weaker team, although they're playing pretty well right now. I think this is a big game for Ben Hallen and squad. They need to get this one, especially when they, they look at, you know, going to Arkansas on Saturday. You definitely, at this point in the year, don't want to have an 0 2 week. Ed and Pontalk says, woulda, shoulda, coulda, story of my life of an Ole Miss fan. As far as Florida quality win, they had that week where they housed Auburn at home. Yeah. About like 22, and then they almost beat LSU. They got kind of unlucky at the end. But after that, that, that LSU loss seemed to kind of break them a little bit. I mean, they got by Vanderbilt and Georgia since. But Ole Miss, is, you talk, hey, Dad talks about state and like kind of avoiding wins that might hurt you. Ole Miss is in an interesting place because they're 93 in the net. And if they continue to play well, like that could end up like not hurting anyone that loses to them. But then, as you've seen, this can go south pretty quickly, and that could balloon back over 100 and actually be perceived as a bad loss. Weird team to play at the moment. So look, let's Best look at case that scenario game. for State is to beat Ole Miss twice, but Ole Miss doesn't lose another game all year. And then that would turn that could turn this uh, Ole Miss game on Tuesday, if State wins it, into a Quadrant 1 win. If, if Ole Miss could get its RPI up above, I think it's 78, or net ranking, I should say. So road net quadrant one wins are seventy eight or better. I believe that's correct. That's why Florida is still a quadrant one win for Mississippi State. And it's uh, it's possible they work their way in that direction. Let's look at that game Tuesday night. I know we're going to spend a lot of time tomorrow previewing that game, but uh, initial thoughts: Reggie Perry coming in probably uh, should be the the front runner and SEC Player of the Year. They'll probably give it to some dude from Kentucky because he plays for Kentucky and that carries more weight than actual production on the court but uh, Ole Miss up until recently had kind of struggled with bigs as good as him and they haven't really seen one as good as him just yet uh we'll start with you hey Ed. what do you see uh tomorrow night well that, that's the key you know both teams have got a, a guy they have to stop for Ole Miss it's Perry they have to stop Reggie Perry from being able to dominate them down low and for Mississippi State you can't let Brian Tyree have the kind of games that he's had the past two uh contests where now he's the SEC player of the week if he goes for 35 40 points 
that's going to be a problem for Mississippi State. So, luckily for State, you know, I feel good about their on guard, their ball defenders. You know, Nick Weatherspoon, DJ Stewart, those are the guys I think can 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 hold Tyree down. I mean, he's still I think he'll still get some points. Obviously, I don't think, but if they don't, if he doesn't get 30, 35, you're probably in good shape. As far as Ole Miss, I mean, Rippy can probably talk about it a little bit more in the next segment, but. I think it's going to be very difficult for them with State's front court. They're just so big and strong and physical right now. And Ole Miss, I mean, that's an area for them where they're just not as strong as they'd like to be. In 30 seconds, Rippy, what do you think? Yeah, I would agree. It's interesting because they come off a game where they played pretty good defense against Blackshear, but you're basically just getting a bigger and better version in Perry. So, I mean, it's going to be a game where C. Buffin, probably Henson a little bit are going to have to kind of grow up a little bit. And, you know, that's certainly a tall challenge. So a guy that played against the Houston Astros is suing them because he claims their game is what got him sent back down to the minors. And believe it or not, he's actually got a case. We'll explain next at Sports Talk Mississippi. Mike Bolzinger is probably a name that you're not familiar with and that might be due to the fact that he had one outing against the Houston Astros that literally sent him back down to the minors and ended his pitching career. He's now filed a lawsuit against the Houston Astros for quote unfair business practices and is asking that the Astros forfeit the nearly 31 million dollars they earned by winning the World Series during the season that they cheated. That is according to Yahoo Sports. He said quote I don't know if I've had a worse outing in my professional career. I remember saying, it was like they knew what I was throwing. They're laying off pitches they weren't laying off before. It's like they knew what was coming, I thought in my head. I feel like I didn't have a chance. And according to one of those um, analytics people that have studied some of the videos of Astros games, during this outing that he's talking about, that sent him down to the minors, and nobody after that picked him up. So this was his final outing of his major league career. The Astros banged the trash can at least 54 times when he was pitching against them, and he got cut, basically, and nobody picked him up after that. So he's suing the Astros. Kind of sounds like he has a case here. As far as like legal case, I really don't know, but yeah, it seems like at least it's like doesn't seem like much of like doesn't seem like a money grab. Like it seems legitimate, which I figured it would be. But we were talking about I didn't know the specifics of the case. I saw the story pop up right before we just went on air, and we were talking about how his case would be strengthened if he got sent down or DFA'd or whatever right after it happened, and that appears to be the case. That is what happened. He got sent back down to AAA immediately after that outing. He was never called up again. And when the season ended, his contract ended, and nobody signed him after that. I mean, that's about as direct as you could possibly frame it if you're going to go to court with it. So I don't know if it'll win, lose, or whatever, but this kind of speaks to the... I saw a Mike Clevenger video, the pitcher for the Cleveland Indians, talking about how badly it made him mad just because it took... Food off of people's tables, money out of people's bank accounts, however you want to call it. This appears to be a pretty direct example of that. I mean, 54 trash can slaps is uh, no no small potatoes, it doesn't seem like. And that's 54 that you could clearly hear on the TV broadcast. I mean, that, and that's just the trash can bangs. I mean, they could have been signaling signs in other ways, but 54 is a pretty significant number. And by the way, that was according to... 
these people that have put together the audio of the banging trash can and charted all this stuff, that was the game they used it the most in 2017. Wow. The only thing I would wonder about is this, is, and I don't know, I mean, I'm speaking just sort of out of school here, but baseball having an antitrust exemption, is this going to alleviate them from possibly being able to be legally attacked in this way? I don't know. And what's interesting is uh, he has, in his lawsuit, decided he's seeking unspecified damages to himself, but the, the main point that they want is the $31 million in bonuses uh, that the Astros received forfeited back to Major League Baseball. That is really where he, it sounds like this is where he's trying to hit them in their pocketbook and not padding his own. This is probably the most traffic that Mike Bolzinger's uh, baseball reference page has ever gotten. Because I was trying to look at it before, and I have it pulled up right now. And Can you find that last game? Yeah, he gave, we lasted a third of an inning, so great game, Dorn. He gave up four hits, four <laughs> earned runs, three walks, so he wasn't exactly locating clearly a home run. And that ballooned his ERA from 5-4 now to 6-3-1. He had a couple... Well, actually, no. he had, So he had gotten shelled before this. He gave up a run in his previous four outings. Granted, they were looked to be extended relief. One actually looked to be a start. So he looked okay in a couple of the other ones, but not great. It's not like he was mowing people down. Well, that's the thing, though. If you're struggling and then you have an outing like that... That's probably where a MLB team would go. Okay, this isn't working out. We got to we got to move on. He's getting worse. Yeah, this seemed by far and away like the worst. He had a string of one, two, three, four in a row pedestrian outings. I would say leading into that. Uh, and you know that probably doesn't help. Now, granted, the Braves look like they showed him earlier in the year. This guy wasn't exactly Sandy Koufax out there, but he might have a case. Maybe uh, the Braves were also. Hitting on trash cans. So there's your daily update in the Houston Astros cheating scandal. How would you know if they were hitting on trash cans with the, with all the tomahawk chopping going on? Well, they don't do that anymore, remember? Yeah, but they, they were doing it then, though, weren't they? Oh, they were. They only stopped doing yeah, it because so, of the one I mean, if pitcher. You're, if, you, if you're hearing you know, that... I mean, how are you going to tell there's a trash can in there? Yeah, like, there could be the cadence where it was just like... You know, just a three hit. It's and a boom. little bit of a a little bit of a tweak in the cadence. <laughs> it's a slider. Uh, coming up, we got winners and losers. Also, what we did for football season, we're going to do for baseball as well. Best case scenario, everything went perfect. Worst case scenario, everything was a disaster. And then, of course, your realistic expectations for Old Miss Mississippi State baseball in the twenty twenty season. All that's coming up as well as Richard Cross will join us next at Sports Talk Mississippi. Stick around. I heard Borky say it earlier, I will concur, a wet Monday. Bad news, going to be a wet Tuesday and a wet Wednesday. It's going to get a little bit better on Thursday and then 70 and sunny for opening day on Friday. Well, minus about 30 degrees, but sunny. Yeah, part of that's accurate. The, the sun is going to be out on Friday, so we're going to play baseball at 4 o'clock in the state of Mississippi on Friday. Southern Miss is at home. Ole Miss is at home. Mississippi State's at home. All three of those teams, first pitch, 4 o'clock. It's going to be sunny and going to be chilly, uh, but that's better than uh, chilly and rainy. 
Glad to have you along this afternoon. Sports Talk Mississippi ceasefire text line is open 601-879-4395. What did you like from the weekend? What did you not like? Text your thoughts to us for winners and losers. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. I'm a loser, baby. We got winners. We got losers. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. Winner never win. And a winner never win. All right, so winners and losers from the weekend. How about this to start things? The Ole Miss club hockey team. Won an SEC championship. In the championship game, they trailed Arkansas, won nothing, came back and won it three to one. They get to wear fancy sweaters on the ice. Um, that's kind of cool. I don't know that hockey has really caught on in terms of being an SEC sport going forward. Uh, winning a club championship is not akin to winning the Frozen Four, but uh, you go out and you win a trophy. That's pretty cool. So they're on the winners list. Hey, Dad, give me a winner. I'm going to go with MSU women's basketball uh, from yesterday. Uh, a really good week for them, obviously, getting a couple of top 25 wins. But watching that game yesterday, in the first half, I thought State was going to about to get run off the court. And even without Kennedy Carter, Texas A&M was really pushing MSU around. But in the second half, and really starting in the final three minutes of the third quarter, uh, State just dominated the game and ended up turning a 13-point deficit into a 12-point win. A uh, very impressive win for MSU. And gosh, Vic Schaefer, who I've seen emotional before, but never like that. He he really wanted that win, and uh, you could tell it meant a lot to him in the post game press conference. So now the Bulldogs are twenty two and three. I don't think you could have gotten Vic Schaefer to tell you prior to the season that he thought his team would be twenty two and three, twenty five games in, and well on pace for a, a high uh, seed in the NCAA tournament. And only one loss in SEC play, and it was a really close loss on the road to South Carolina. Yeah. Yeah, that, that South Carolina finishes the season, I think, with Arkansas and Texas A&M. So two tough games for them. If they slip, State could get a uh, a share of the conference championship, and if they slip badly, State could end up winning it if if the Bulldogs can finish strong. Rippy, give me a winner. Mine's a week late, but Davis Riley, uh, Hattiesburg native, played golf at Alabama. Excuse me, won on the Corn Ferry Tour last week in Panama. Pretty big deal. Shot one under on Sunday, one under sixty nine. Nice playing. Held off a late charge from Roberto Diaz, and that's a pretty big deal because he's well on his way to earning a PGA Tour card. Probably not 100% locked up because it is early in the year, but pretty hard if you play somewhat respectable golf to lose it. Which, what, a couple of years ago we've talked a lot about Sung J.M. He won early and then just kind of played well the rest of the way and ended up on top of the points list or money list and... Yeah, the misnomer with all that is is you want to be number one overall because you avoid the PGA Tour reshuffle, which is basically a lottery to get an X amount of tournaments, and you're fully exempt if you get the top spot. So I imagine winning the third event of the year positions yourself fairly nicely to be able to do that. Yeah, I mean, if you can continue to uh, to play well for the rest of the way. Borky, how about a winner? Um, the XFL. It was good. Everything about it felt right, and... The, the broadcast was good, and it felt like they took it seriously, but yet there was the right amount of Pat McAfee goofiness. The quality of play was good enough to enjoy it. It feels like this has a better chance of sticking around than the AAF, and I can't exactly pinpoint why. It just feels that way. Um, really good opening weekend. Went off without a hitch, with the exception of Dylan Day's F-bomb, but I kind of think that was done on purpose. Either way, very successful opening weekend, 
and I hope it sticks. Any other winners we need to get in? Jordan Tamu, if you want to make that more specific, the Battle Hawks of St. Louis were the only road team to win on the XFL this week. Nine and a half point underdogs, I believe. He played pretty well. Nick Fitzgerald got in the game and got, I believe, a couple of third down, fourth down in shorts, if I remember correctly, and then bashed a seltzer on his head before shotgunning it. So, <laughs> real winner. I don't know if it's Tom or Fitzgerald. I'd lean Fitzgerald, but you can put them both on there. And what was he, 20 of 27 for a little over 200 yards and had some good runs as well? Yeah, he used his feet really well, and he had three or four throws, particularly the touchdown that sealed it late, were pretty high-level throws. That touchdown pass was really good. I always figured he'd have a chance to stick on the NFL roster for a little bit. I was surprised it happened imme- didn't happen immediately in terms of just being a second- or third-string guy that you keep around on a practice squad or a backup. But uh, maybe he gets a chance from that. The the kid, Borky and I were talking about the kid that tore up the AAF last year uh, landed the Browns' backup job. Gary <laughs> Gilbert? So, never oh, know. Oh, yeah. Uh, what about losers from the weekend? Or, or do we have more? Win- oh, there was another winner. Uh, Brian Tyree, named SEC Player of the Week, had a career-high 38 against South Carolina, then followed it up with another 23 or 24 uh, against Florida in the uh, the win. So Ole Miss basketball goes 2-0, and and Brian Tyree kind of leads the way in doing that. So he's on the winner's list. Anybody else that uh, we need to get in? Hey, Dad? Borky? For, for winner now. The okay. um, NFL offseason, because Phillip Rivers and the Chargers officially mutually parted ways, so mm-hmm. that's something, and we might get into it later, um, this idea that Tom Brady's going to play somewhere else besides New England is really gaining steam. So you might see some veteran quarterback movement in the league. I want Phillip Rivers in Tampa and Tom Brady in Nashville or Dallas so bad. And I can't figure out why. I just know it would be compelling stuff. Just the prospect of it is good for the league, and I'm excited about it. Franchise Jameis, Sign Rivers, put them both on the field at the same time. Only one of them can throw a pick, but you could try to see if they both could. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> That'd be worth with watching, the, I with guess. With the XFL's rules, they fun. both could throw an interception on the same play. All right, let's turn the page from winners to losers. Losers from the weekend. Johnny Manziel. Johnny Manziel took to Twitter to let everybody know that um, he was too good for the XFL. He said, comeback season is still alive if y'all ain't no. Just not playing for another league that's going to fold on you midway through the season, kind of like you've done on teams throughout your career. He said, I've never been able to pick up a ball again. It's all love. I was the most lit, most reliable college football player to ever do it. Did things my way and made it way further than I ever could have imagined. The game gave me life, and I'll be forever grateful. Um, If you want to keep playing football, there's a league that wants to pay you to do it. Maybe you should take up that opportunity and show that you're capable of sustaining a season before you flame out. But that's just me. Menzel's the guy that tells you how much he was killing it in real estate in, like, 06. Won't let it go. I don't know that 06 was the time you would have been killing it. I guess maybe a little before that, but the... uh, I'll poke the digital elephant in the room. Uh, Richard Cross's co-host, Mr. Uh, <laughs> Barry Booker. Ooh. Ooh. You avoided the tire marks on your own back. <laughs> I didn't do anything. I know. I thought you had it no, as well. You did not. Make sure not. you get run over well. Like, as well. So, you like Dexter McCluster avoiding tacklers out there, man. Yeah. Several of you have texted about this. Uh, one person had it in the winners category. One person, several of you had it in the losers category. Somebody just said, "Tell us more 
about what happened. So the uh, <laughs> why am I having trouble getting into this? Um. So there's a, uh, a promotional read for women's gymnastics uh, outlining the two Valentine's Day gymnastics meets that are coming up and will be on the SEC Network on Friday, and you can watch on the ESPN app. And generally speaking, we kind of ad-lib on the back of those, whether it's basketball or, in this case, gymnastics. And I just made the comment that, hey, if um, you're in one of those places, that'd be kind of a cool Valentine's Day date night. And um, Barry did not follow that up very well. And if you want, I, I just don't feel entirely comfortable recounting the entire event. Look, the the New York Post and CNN and Yahoo Sports and USA Today and Washington Post, et cetera, have all picked up the story. If you want to read it in its entirety and listen to what happened, you are certainly welcome to do so. I, I feel bad for Barry. Uh, he obviously um, did not say what he should have said. He's a good guy, um, but made a really big mistake on the air on Saturday. Should have said, and that was not part of the ad read. That was not part of the promo copy. Yeah, people at uh, Borky have kind of pointed out that uh, I identified us both. It was almost like a de facto reset. It was like... Richard Cross, that's Barry Booker. <laughs> oh, and then he, man. And then he kind of continued and yeah. got worse. So, Hey, but you're um, getting a lot of shout-outs. It's, well, at oh, least yeah, the other this guy is wasn't exactly, bad. exactly how I wanted to appear in the Washington Post and the New York Post. Hey, man, viral's viral. Fair, fair enough. Hey, Dad, you stayed quiet through that. I thought you were just going to laugh at me the whole time. Man, I I have been on, I have said the dumb thing before, so I I I, I got got my sympathy. <laughs> we'll continue with um, your winners and losers when we come back on the Ceasefire text line 601-879-4395. Again, the ceasefire text line 601-879-4395. Your winners and losers from the weekend. Derek in Greenwood says winner XFL. It's on point. Concise to the point. Mike in Oxford goes with Barry Booker. Uh, Steven goes with uh, winner and loser Fitzgerald. Nick Fitzgerald, winning, shotgunning alcohol, losing, shotgunning a seltzer. Well, they're a corporate sponsor. Yeah, gotta, they are. Gotta, I think they're one of the biggest. The bills, one of the biggest sponsors of the uh, XFL. Uh, I got Chris, a loser that we didn't talk about. Okay, uh, LSU had the game in complete control and a chance to take a like a stranglehold in the SEC. They would have been what three games up on Auburn at that point. Uh, instead, they just. They gave it away, then Auburn tried to give it back, and then LSU said, no, no, I insist, you take it. And Auburn got, what a, what a great game, though. The winner was me for a while. That may have been one of the few college basketball games I've watched start to finish, and it was How good was the that way atmosphere? It Unbelievable. And especially once Auburn started making the comeback. And once they started making the comeback, I thought that the crowd's going to carry them to the win, and they did. Well, if you're going to go with the Walmart version, how about North Carolina? Ooh. <laughs> yeah, Talk about giving a game else. away. Good grief. Yeah. And free missed throw shooting. 17 free throws, is that right? 
That's that's an unbelievable statistic. And then still had, uh, I think, the win probability in the overtime was at 95% or something before Duke made the final push. Yeah, I mean, you had two offensive rebounds on missed free throws, one of them intentional. The other one, unintentional miss, you let them get it back out, they throw up an air ball, and then you give up basically an alley-oop on the offensive board. Like, just impossible. There was a missed foul call, but they were struggling to get the ball up the court anyway. I don't know what would have happened on that possession, but that's uh, that's tough. Loser, the lame train. Recruits okay. were supposed to flock aboard as soon as Kiffin stepped on campus. Not. Okay. Boom. Dropped the that's Borat joke on us. He, he just torched y'all right there is what happened. Y'all. Come on now. That's right. I'm hitting you with a y'all on that one. That's how bad it was. How brutal. Uh, I guess this is... That's not really... It's more of just kind of a general thought on the basketball fiasco from the weekend. I'm not talking about any games. Uh, Gymnastics and volleyball, but especially gymnastics, it is socially acceptable to show more than half of parts of the body that shouldn't be shown. Loser, poor Barry Booker. Winner, I agree on the XFL. That was some good, entertaining football. A small number of teams allows each roster to have some good quality players, so games will be competitive. The rule changes were awesome to me. The kickoff especially, because who wants to watch touchbacks all day? Extra point allows for some strategic planning. Just great all around. I like the way the kickoff was set up where you had both the kicking team and the receiving team, what, 10 yards apart from each other, down around the 20 or the 30? Yeah. Talk about a, a way to eliminate concussion. You know, people are going to give the XFL, oh, they're not going to they're going to try to, you know, get head-to-head hits and big collisions, but that seems like a safer, a very safe way to do kickoffs, keep kickoffs as part of the game, but eliminate a lot of the uh, the danger that you have in that play. There's some interesting storylines as far as players too. Like St. Louis had that kid there's a kid that was academically ineligible at West Virginia, and instead of just sitting out or returning to school, he just said, screw it, I'm going to play in the XFL. Apparently he has NFL-level talent. They don't even know if they'll have him for the whole year. Huh. So interesting storylines. Aaron Murray is somehow still playing football. He was not good. No, yeah. I'm shocked that a combination of he and Mark Trestman really flopped uh, offensively in the season opener. But some interest, uh, the kid from Troy that was the – not the Birmingham Iron quarterback. Maybe he's the Memphis quarterback. Silvers? Wasn't he in the AAF? I'm going to have to take your right. word on that. I think. Yeah. I don't know. But he's kind of bounced around. But, you know, Every now and then a name would pop up. And be like, oh, I remember that guy. Borky, did we get to your loser or losers? Uh, yeah, Manziel being the one. That, that was just a bizarre situation there. Um, and also Michigan yeah. State. And I, I we'll talk about that coming up as well. But they are swinging and missing over and over again in this coaching search. And uh, I, I don't know what your guys' thoughts on it when it broke last week about him just up and retiring to spend more time with his family. It was clear that something else was going on, and it's good to see that that is coming to light as well. well I mean, you're, I still go you're, with what I said, which is, I mean, they're going to make a push for Brett Bielema. Fine, that's a that's a very acceptable choice. But if he says no. Just go with the interim, get through the season, and redo this at the end of the year next year. Yeah, you're trying to change coaches in February. I mean, they, you had one here in state that changed coaches in January, and it worked out well for them, but you probably saw 
five, six potential avenues where it could have gotten squirrely. Imagine a month later, a day before signing day. Of course it's not going to work. Yeah. And, and there's NCAA stuff evidently coming down the pipe, and there's, there's lawsuits. There's a lot bad going on at Michigan State. It would be wise just to keep it in-house and then come back next year and try to, try to get a do-over. Um, slightly unrelated, well, completely unrelated to sports, but on the losers list, the president of Jackson State is arrested in a prostitution sting in Jackson over the weekend. That did happen. Yeah. Yeah. Not good. No, no, not good. And I don't think there were a lot of uh, Jackson State people that were not, um, were not altogether excited about his hiring as, uh, the president. Back in 2017, when that uh, that actually happened, and I, I guess they turned out to be proven right. So interesting you, to see who they hire to chair the search committee, who will then become the president of the university. It's too soon. <laughs> no, it's really not. Hey. <laughs> uh. Um, Basil says loser. The person that thought recruits would flock to Ole Miss just because of Kiffin. Thank you, Mr. Basil. Winner, Malik Newman, signed a 10-day contract yeah. with Cavaliers. Saw that. Um, let's see here. Winner, Dylan Day, uh, dropping an F-bomb on ABC. Loser, ABC for Dylan Day, <laughs> dropping an F-bomb on broadcast television. <laughs> Richard Wig from Wiggins has a really fun text. Read it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Read it. Feel free, Hayden. Don't let me do it. He got, caught, he in got caught in the boom Sonic room. Boom Boom Room. Oh, he added a second wow. boom. Yeah. That Woo. was Brian Haydad. <laughs> <laughs> well played, Borky. Uh, oh, my um, goodness. <laughs> we're getting some good text now. Yeah. Folks are on point today. Maybe uh, a lot of time indoors with all the rain. <laughs> Had time to sit and think. Uh, Who just knows? A the Falwells may be looking for a president. Jeez. Six zero one eight seven nine four three nine five. That is the ceasefire text line. Would love to hear from you this afternoon as we roll throughout the rest of the show. No, you guys talked about it a little bit, and we'll spend a good bit of time on it tomorrow. But this matchup tomorrow night. Uh, it feels like a big one uh, with Ole Miss and Mississippi State, and really big on on both sides. Uh, Rippy, I think the point you were making earlier about Ole Miss, at least at this point in the year, I mean, th- they would have to do something fairly miraculous to even get themselves back into the conversation. Like for, go two and zero this week, that would be considered miraculous, in my opinion. If they were to win against Mississippi State at home and against Kentucky on the road, yeah, that's yes, that that would certainly be. A really, really good start to getting back on track to being potentially in the postseason conversation. Uh, that feels like a stretch at best right now to put them in that conversation. And Borky, you did a good job of outlining the reasons why earlier with some close losses where they just weren't able to hang on to double digit wins. But Ole Miss is playing better and they want to try and continue to trend in that direction. If nothing else, to build toward what next year is going to be like. It's going to be a different roster without Brian Tyree, certainly. You know, will Devontae Shuler come back for his senior year? All those questions have got to be answered. The bottom line is you want to play well and you want to try and win games, and it's a rivalry game. Different, though, for Mississippi State in that the margin for error, and, and we've talked to Ed for a few weeks about this, is not real big. 
for the Bulldogs. Yeah. You know, a week ago they played themselves squarely onto the bubble and then, according to Joe Lenardi, in the field, and then they improved their position in the field where they weren't even one of the last four in, and then played themselves right back out of it to where they are currently the first of the first four out. All that said, Mississippi State can't afford many slip-ups between now and the end of the regular season if they are going to indeed be an NCAA tournament team. It definitely feels like the pressure's on State coming into this game on Tuesday. That Ole Miss should be able to play, you know, pretty much, you know, pretty loose. You would think they've got nothing to lose and they can play spoiler. But for Mississippi State, you're absolutely right. They can afford a loss Saturday at Arkansas. They can maybe afford another loss here and there. But right now, with that and the momentum that they have with their fan base getting people back in the hump, a loss at Ole Miss would just be a crusher. Talk about Ole Miss playing free and loose. That's kind of what's happened the last little bit. They had such a terrible month of January that they did. They've kind of bought into the whole, "Hey, let's go win February and not worry about anything else." And they keep repeating that. And I guess they're off to a good start in that regard. But something about that has freed them up because they're not really worried about anything else. Yeah, Kermit Davis talked about just going out and playing and having fun playing basketball. Looks to be that way, and it's uh, it's funny. You know, winning seems to be a little bit more fun. Home court advantage matters. We saw that at Auburn over the weekend. We'll see what kind of a home court advantage Ole Miss has tomorrow night at the Pavilion when they host Mississippi State. That makes it feel like baseball season. Friday, opening day. Mississippi State in Starkville hosting... Who is it, hey, Dad? Wright State. Wright State. That's actually a pretty good baseball program. That's yeah. one of those where if you don't follow the game closely and you don't follow it year in, year out, you go, right, State, who's that? They've won a bunch of games and a bunch of like conference championships in recent years. They took yeah. two or three from Ole Miss one year, didn't I'd they? I'd say I, I took the series last year from Ole Miss. They won a series last year? I think that was a while back. They took a was game it? last year, if I'm not mistaken. But there was one team Mike had in the late like 2000s, maybe 28. 20, I don't know, 2010 range, maybe? Hey, Dad's doing the if only there was a device for that. No, I'm, thing I'm right actually now. not doing that. Y'all, 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 we'll just go with it. Uh, it's, that's, it's right. not, that, 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 that's probably not worth our effort there. Last year, Wright State won the Saturday game, and the Sunday game got canceled because uh, your weather prediction was wrong. Mm. Was that opening weekend? It was. There you go. Only get two on opening weekend. That's uh, a bit of a bummer. So, Borky, how do you want to do this? We'll do it just like we did with football season. So we'll look at Ole Miss and Mississippi State, and uh, I want to hear the best-case scenario, which means everything went perfectly, like how you project a certain player could be the highest ceiling possible, the lowest floor possible, and then what the realistic expectations in 2020 should be. All right, let's start with Mississippi State. Um Hey, Dad, I would say just in terms of record, highest ceiling possible in the regular season, something like, I'm talking about if everything goes right. No injuries, Sarantola is great in the rotation, the freshman that they're adding in the rotation is good, JT Ginn performs at a really high level and stays healthy. I could see 44-10 and in the regular season and winning the West, and being right there with Vanderbilt where that final weekend of the regular season in Nashville determines the SEC champion. Yeah, that's very fair. If we want to look totally big picture as a prediction for the season, I mean, the, the best-case scenario for State is what you just said, that Sarantola and McLeod 
are quality SEC starters, and Ginn is an absolute ace the way Ethan Small was last year, and I'll spend another couple weeks in Omaha. Yeah, and look, I mean, if, if you wanted to go out on the limb and say, well, best-case scenario is Mississippi State wins a national championship, that, that's fine, you can do that. Right. I just think once you get to Omaha, it's a little bit of a crapshoot. I agree and with that. If Mississippi you can just State say that plays at a level that gets them a top-five national seed, then you know you're going to be at home for a Super Regional, you know that's a great home field advantage, and you know you're going to play one of the bottom five seeds on the other side. So 16, 15, 14, 13, or 12, you like your chances to get back to the College World Series. Right, right. I, I, like I said, it, states State has enough talent that they can be reasonably confident they'll be in the discussion to go to Omaha and win a national title. That's, that's the best-case scenario. Rippy, what about best-case scenario for Ole Miss? I think the best-case scenario would be the freshman and JUCO guys that they need to kind of for, uh, form a strong middle of the lineup around Tyler Keenan hit. I'm thinking Tim Elko, Kevin Graham, you know, Kale Baker, uh, Leatherwood, Dunhurst, any of those number of candidates hit well enough they are able to drive in runs. I think they have the pitching to host a regional. It could be kind of like that 16 team that really came together late. I think the pitching is certainly good enough for a team to host a regional. Just the, I think the fear with this team is hitting and scoring runs because of how much he lost last year. So I would say that's the ceiling. And it, and it doesn't always come out this way, but if you host a regional, you you like your chances because you get the home field advantage and you get big crowds. And Ole Miss hasn't always gotten out of its regional, but more times than not they have uh, in years that they've hosted. So that would certainly be a win. In terms of record, when you start looking at the SEC schedule and the way they play it, you want to go absolute best-case scenario, you kind of do it based on 20 years of work with Mike Bianco, and you go 16 and 14, 17 and 13? That's what I was exactly going to say. To me, this is easiest to gauge an SEC win. So 16 and 14, 17 and 13, maybe some, like if you're talking absolute best case scenario, cement that hosting spot with a win or two in Hoover or something if you're at 16 and 14. I don't know how it's going to play out, but somewhere in that range. And then I guess the flip side of that would be, you know, I think pitching will keep them in most games, even with, you know, they lose Tyler Myers out of the bullpen for, to Tommy John, but I think there's enough depth there for them to be really good. Worst case scenario, it's kind of 17-ish where they don't hit very well. You lose a lot of games 6, 7, 2, things like that, and then just kind of get swallowed up by what is a brutal SEC and 11 and 19, 10 and 20, something like that. I tend to think it goes somewhere in the middle here at the 14-ish, 15-win range. Yeah, and, and let's do this for Southern Miss as well. They went 40 and 21 last year, 20 and 10 in Conference USA. The, the thing that stood out for me that was below average in comparison to what we've generally seen from Scott Berry's team uh, or teams was they weren't a great defensive team. They only fielded it at 963 uh, last year, made 86 errors in 51 games. I'm sorry, in 61 games last year. And you got to be better than that because there were games where you could point to Southern Miss not being clean enough in the field. Um, and it cost them games. So best case scenario for Southern Miss this year, you know, they went again forty and twenty one and twenty and ten in the league. I think somewhere in the twenty and ten, maybe twenty two and eight range in conference USA play, and they're around that forty win mark at the end of the regular season. That probably guarantees them a spot in the uh, in the NCAA tournament, and that'd be a really good spot to be for Southern Miss 
in the 2020 season. Um, hey, Dad, worst case scenario for Mississippi State. What's the floor? Well, that's sort of what you said. You know, Sarantola and McLeod aren't what you think they're going to be, and you do have some injury troubles with Ginn or anything like that. I think the hitting is so good that missing the postseason entirely seems almost impossible, but to maybe be a, a two-seed in somebody else's regional. I'll be honest, I really think the floor might just to be a non-national seed. They could be like the 15 or the 16 seed. I just think they're going to be so effective offensively. But it, 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 when you talk about starting pitching, plus when you really don't know anybody in your bullpen, I mean, it's it's going to be tough to to win every game 10-8 to eight or something like that. There's going to be games where the hitting just shuts down. So if State's pitching is not what you would think it would be, they could end up on, on having to travel for postseason play. Yeah, and in terms of a conference record, if you're talking about absolute worst-case scenario, almost bottoming out, I mean, it still feels like 13. Around 500. Yeah, well, I was going to say, I mean, if we're going with your – your your kind of hypothesis, which is not the right way to describe it, which kind of the way you laid it out a second ago. Yeah. If those other two starters turn out not to be very good, and the injury bug hits, then I'd say worst case scenario is still probably in the thirteen, maybe fourteen win range in conference yeah. play. Yeah. Anything worse than that, and you feel like something goodness, went completely ha- wrong. Half the roster ended up on the injury list, and yeah. you know. The bullpen was a disaster, and for whatever reason, they couldn't hit. Right. Worst case scenario for Ole Miss, Rippy. The young guys don't play well. Injuries. Yeah, I mean, bullpen I think it would just be up. not being able to score runs. Like them not being able to replace what they lost in the heart of the lineup production wise last year. Tim Elko. Kevin Graham, whoever, they're going to need two or three of those guys I mentioned a second ago to take pretty big jumps and become uh, pretty consistent uh, contributors in terms of driving in runs and hitting the ball over the fence. And I guess worst-case scenario would, kind of like I said, would be that 17-team that struggles to really hit, doesn't score a lot of runs, loses a lot of frustrating uh, type of ball games. Well, and in terms of conference record, we kind of did that a second ago, feeling like best-case scenario is probably in that 17-win range. You know, it would take something that you've not seen at all under Mike Bianco, which is a year where they really tank in SEC play. And kind of they've always figured out a way to be, at worst, right around 500. So I would say, you know, a worst-case scenario is probably, what, 10 wins in the SEC? If they were to go 10 and 20, that's probably kind of bottoming out? Yeah, and in a league, I mean, that's that's very possible. There's going to be a team that's really not that bad, particularly in the West, that's going to have that happen to them, I think, just because the rest of the league is so good. And you know, I'm not saying it's necessarily going to be Ole Miss, but you did draw Florida, Vanderbilt, and Georgia out of the East. Sure. Um little bold prediction for you, Borky? Let's hear it. There will be a an SEC team in the SEC tournament that has eight or fewer wins in conference play. Why don't you just add them? So Come you, on, you just uh, you don't believe in <laughs> Alabama slash Kentucky at all, huh? Not really. My guess is Kentucky is the team that won't make it. And and remember, there's only one team that's not going to make it based on record because Missouri's not eligible. Missouri could go 30-0 and in the league, and they're not playing in the conference tournament this year because of the uh, NCAA postseason ban. Uh, ban, not banned. Um, you know, Southern Miss, 
Pitching doesn't work out. They don't swing it. They go 13 and 17 in Conference USA. That's probably somewhere in the worst case scenario range for Scott Berry's ball club. Let's stick with this. So we've done best case scenario if everything's perfect, worst case scenario if everything's a disaster. Where do we think these teams are going to end up? We'll do that next. Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Talking some college baseball as we get set for the season opener coming up on Friday. Mississippi State hosting Wright State. Southern Miss hosting Murray State. And Ole Miss hosting number 1 Louisville in the season opening series in Starkville, Hattiesburg, and Oxford, respectively. Did kind of best case, worst case for all three of those teams. Borky, I'll let you start out in terms of making your predictions for the year. The somewhere in the middle, the most likely scenario, when you look at Mississippi State this year, what's your guess for most likely how they finish? Um, definitely hosting a regional, and I don't know if that's really going out on a limb, but the the team with what they return at the plate, even without McNamee and Mangum, has enough to where they should be able to hit their way into being a comfortable host, if not a national seed. We'll see what the pitching does with the new guys, but they have a good enough frontline starter on top of the pitching to be a comfortable national seed hosting their own regional, if not hosting all the way to Omaha. All right. And then the other two, oh, I'm sorry. We'll do, we'll do one school at a time, kind of go around the horn. Hey, Dan? Uh, I'm, I'm high on this team. Uh, they, they The way they talk about McLeod makes me think he's really going to be really solid for them. And I think Sarantola has a lot of talent. they just got to get that figured out. If they do, uh, I don't see any reason I can't go back to Omaha, but I definitely think this team will be a national seed. And if they can do that and host a regional and host a super regional, they give themselves a great chance to get there. When do you think they go in conference play? Well, they 20-10 and 10 last year. Something like that, maybe twenty. That's twenty and ten, nineteen and eleven, something like that. I think yeah, they're really good. Nineteen and eleven is kind of what I, what I'm thinking. Yeah. Rippy, you got a thought on Mississippi State? I think they're good. I think they'll probably. Have, I mean, I think they have as good a shot at anyone as winning the West and getting a national seed. I think the league is a little better. I think eighteen and twelve this year, and you're comfortably a national seed. I think that's probably the case most years. But yeah, I, I would agree around there. Twenty wins in this West though is going to be hard. Yeah. No, I completely agree with that. Arkansas is loaded. They got to kind of figure out the pitching maybe a little bit because they don't have Isaiah Campbell on Fridays. Auburn's going to be really good. A couple of fantastic arms and kind of a cool coaching staff they put together as well. Uh, adding, oh, who was the the pitching coach they had in the off season? Tim Hudson. Tim Hudson, former yeah. Auburn great. He could help as a hitting coach if he wanted to. LSU's kind of the same way. They have that Eric Walker kid, I think, is a midweek starter now, and then Jaden Hill is coming out of the bullpen. So pretty good young talent there. What's LSU's rotation going to look like? Any idea? Oh, they they announced that the other day. I forgot. Let me see if I can find mm, it. Probably some combination of Henry and Marceau, and then that uh, Henry Marceau would definitely be Friday, Saturday in some order. I don't know. As far as this Sunday... They had a couple of kids out of the pen that were pretty good, but they probably have some newcomer. That... Yeah. Um, I think LSU will be improved over what they were. Alabama, I still think, is going to finish at the bottom of the West, but I think they're going to be more competitive. Brad Bohannon is a good recruiter. He's kind of slowly building a pretty good roster in Tuscaloosa. And Ole Miss has obviously got some some pieces. Uh, and, and Texas A&M, who's going to pitch their brains out 
just like they have in recent years, and, and it sounds like a little bit of a broken record, but feels like if they can hit, they are dangerous, like to the point of could be a national seed dangerous, and if they don't hit, then they'll struggle to get in the NCAA tournament. Maneri's first weekend rotation is Henry, Marceau, and A.J. Labus as on Sunday. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, for Southern Miss, most likely scenario? I would say Ole Miss probably most likely 14-ish range, 15. I think 14 and 16, 15 and 15? I think there are two seeds somewhere else. Well, you said okay. Southern Miss. What are we talking about, Southern Miss or Ole Miss? Well, uh, I thought we just Rip, skipped Ole Rippy Miss. just jumped to Ole Miss, so that's fine. Okay. All right. What do you think on Ole Miss, Ada? I, I, Bianco has been in this league for so long, it seems sort of foolish to underestimate him. But not him. long enough for people to actually pronounce his name correctly. It doesn't matter. Bianco, Bianco, you know. Uh, <laughs> Kwanzaa. It, it, After two it decades, matter. I mean, you would think. He, he's just the Ole Miss coach, that's all I say. Uh, they'll, be, they'll be better than you think, but they're, 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 they're still young. So they'll probably finish around 500 in the league, maybe 16 and 14, and uh, mm-hmm. they'll they'll be they'll be pushing for a host spot because their RPI is going to be really high. They have the pitching to host. I just don't know if they're going to be able to score enough runs. Yeah, Borky. Yeah, same thing. It, to Haydad's point, they have been bad like one time in 20 years, and that was 2011. I mean, they're just they are typically not a bad baseball team, and they should pitch it well enough to. Get to be a two seed somewhere and have a shot to get out of a regional. Talk about changing the way the program is viewed in terms of a long term lens. Is Mike is able to finally get like a young team that's scrappy that maybe finds its way at the plate at the end of the year out of somebody else's regional for the first time since he's been here? That would be a real opportunity in terms of kind of shifting the narrative. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Uh, I'm not betting against the Scott Berry team. I mean, he he just he's got a system that works. He knows how to get players in. They play hard. They play well. I think they'll be better defensively than they were last year, and I think they'll be right there fighting for a conference championship in Conference USA. 18, 19, 20, 21 wins in the league, and uh, yeah. probably back to the NCAA tournament. Sports I Talk agree. Mississippi College Football Fix is next. Monday afternoon with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Glad to have you along. The C Spire text line is open. The number is 601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395. C Spire reminds you that Mississippi's future can't wait. Join C Spire in the fight to bring computer science education to every school. Text FUTURE to 50457 or visit the website OurMSFuture.com The time is now Mississippi. It's time right now for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. It is truck month, which means great savings on the F-150, the Ranger, Super Duty, you can test drive all of those at your local Mississippi Ford dealer today. So a couple of items for you on the college football fix. Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin have added to the football staff. According to Matt Zenitz at AL.com, Lane Kiffin has landed one of the nation's top personnel guys, uh, Matt Lindsay, who was South Carolina's director of player personnel, will take on the role of general manager 
at Ole Miss. That's obviously a professional sports term that is becoming more and more um, common in college football. You've seen a couple of different coaches who have created a position and titled it GM. Basically, he'll be over the recruiting operation in terms of evaluation and kind of making the determinations on who to recruit and how to go about that process. Um, In the last three years at South Carolina, uh, Lindsey has overseen three straight top 25 recruiting classes, including uh, one this past year that was ranked number 18 prior to South Carolina. Lindsey, who's 28 years old, I think, spent three seasons as a uh, scouting assistant with the Philadelphia Eagles and as an undergraduate at Alabama, worked on Nick Saban's staff as a volunteer in the uh, recruiting office, and then I think was a GA on that staff as well. Uh, what does this mean? I mean, you knew they were going to make a couple of hires like this, most notably a replacement to Siski. I know the title is different, but that seems to be kind of what this is. So it's interesting, like the terminology terminology on some of this stuff in college football keeps changing, but I think it's your kind of director of recruiting guy. Maybe you have some additional responsibilities, but I mean, you think of GM in professional sports as a guy in charge of putting the team on the field in a less direct sense, that's what you're doing here in college. Well, and Lane Kiffin has used the comparison a number of times, and I think in a roundabout way, Mike Leach has as well in talking about the changing environment in college athletics in terms of putting a roster together, and he says it's more like managing an NFL roster than it's ever been before. Well, you just hit it with those two words. His job will be roster management. Because there's, so, I mean, there's so many different ways to recruit, like Kiffin said now, or different avenues. No, it's not like it's not as simple, I guess, as it was you know, back in your day. Back in my day where it was go sign 25 guys, give or take, or over sign, and everybody gets announced on National Signing Day, and then you wait until spring ball starts. I was thinking leather helmets, but yeah, presumably. Yeah, that was Haydad's day, leather helmets. Yeah. Ole Miss has a general manager. Mississippi State has a chief of staff. We'll see how they, uh, they turn out. I kind of like chief of staff better. You like that? Yeah, because, you know. Does that mean he's responsible for, like, House of Cards type stuff where he... You know, does the dirty work in the background in terms of controlling a message? He's the power behind the throne. I don't know. Mm. Sometimes better to be the Doug. power behind the throne to actually be on the throne. I would make everyone Absolutely. call me Doug Stamper if I uh, if I had chief. I never staff. watched House of Cards, so I don't know. These references uh, are lost then never on me. mind. Yeah, so your references are not lost on me, though. Okay. I enjoyed that show. Finally, it got a little dark, finally but... mark the day. February 10th, a reference was lost on me, but Cross got it. Yeah. <laughs> I got you covered on House of Cards and Billions. It got a All little right. dark, but I enjoyed it. Oh, it ended terribly. It, it got weird in the last year. I couldn't do the last year in one space. Well, when the life. star of the show bad, has the show what happens happens, you know, what can you do? Yeah. This, I couldn't finish the last season. I ended it before Spacey left. That was the end of the show in my mind. Claire, the wife of Frank Underwood, so Claire Underwood was really good in her role. But it did, I tried two episodes. Until... She became the star of the show and was just not good as the star. Are there any more creative names you could come up with positions like this? Chief of Staff, GM? Deputy? Head honcho? <laughs> Grand Pooh? I probably can't use that one. Newest sheriff The boss? The, sh- the sheriff. That would be good, yeah. Yeah. If we got deputy, I mean, somebody could be sheriff. Although, yeah. technically, the guy at the top's the one who's got to be the sheriff. Maybe just knight someone, call them sir or whatever? <laughs> I like it. Would you, you do make a formal lighting with yeah. the sword? Yeah. We would use a cowbell here, but that's fine. Oh, there you that go. That would actually play. Yeah. 
although Swing Your Sword was the name of the book. That's true. That's true. I've been seeing some, uh, and uh, the guy we're talking about, uh, Dave Emmerich, he tweeted out a picture. He has a cowbell with a sword handle that he got. I've seen a few of those floating around. They're making the rounds, yeah. Apparently, they're fairly expensive, though, because a friend of mine making one, yeah. the handle with the part of a sword going into the top of a cowbell is more difficult. I can than see where that would be pricey. On it. Yeah, yeah. Have you gotten one? Have I gotten a cowbell sword? No, I have not gotten one, no. So it's like a samurai sword with a cowbell on the end? Yeah, but yeah. shorter. Yeah. More like no blade. Like a it's like the knife. handle. There's no blade, yeah. yeah it's... Randy Jackson's signature from American Idol on it. Did you catch that reference, hey, Dad? Yes. I watched, I watched Step Brothers the other night. Jeez. Uh, um... <laughs> uh... Are you My going to buy one of those cowbells? Is the question uh, on the no. table? No, I will Why not? not? It would be a great well, display piece. It would be a great display piece, but, I mean, a cowbell's for ringing, man. And when would I do that? I can't take that in the press box. They would, they would look at me funny. Michigan State is having a hard time finding a new head football coach. And part of the reason, apparently, is because of potential looming NCAA trouble. Mark D'Antonio, in a lawsuit... It's been alleged that he arranged, jo- arranged jobs for high-level recruits, parents, and let non-coaches go on the road recruiting. Dan- uh, D'Antonio has claimed that that had nothing to do with his resignation. He's also claimed that those reports are false. Um, What, at least four coaches at this point have turned down the head coaching job. Luke Fickle at Cincinnati, the most high profile. We talked last week with Bill Bender. He said that's the name that absolutely makes the most sense. Apparently Mel Tucker, who just finished up his first year at Colorado and did a nice job there, has turned down the job as well. And now you've got rumors that uh, Brett Bielema could be in the mix for Michigan State. What's that do for you? Call me nuts, but wouldn't Bielema play a little bit in the Big Ten? He wasn't a bad Big Ten coach. He won ten games three years in a row and went to multiple Rose Bowls if at Wisconsin. If that's option four at in, on February 10th, you're looking for a head coach, you could do a heck of a lot worse than Brett Bielema. Why did he fail at Arkansas? It what was, was it? Was it recruiting? Well, he just of, could never get the talent to beat teams with the system? I mean, he was yeah. a really high-profile Shocking hire. If you remember back when he got hired, it was like, whoa. That's SEC flexing its muscles right there because he was awesome at Wisconsin, and he failed at Arkansas. They tried to sort of do what they did with with Bielema to Morris and that they it was a complete shift of what they wanted to do offensively. They went from this Petrino passing attack to they were going to be a power running team, which is sort of interesting because by the end of Bielema's time, time there, they were throwing the ball a ton with Brandon Allen and Austin Allen. And basically tried to out Alabama, Alabama at the time. He was going to be the power running team in, in the SEC. It just, it just didn't work. It was the Wisconsin footprint in the SEC, which probably doesn't work because well, different type of ball, more speed, all that good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That works at Wisconsin. It plays. And it would probably play at Michigan State. But at the end of the day, uh, isn't football football? I mean, obviously the Big Ten is not as good as the SEC. Obviously. When you say that, look at Moorhead. Whose name has been tied to uh, this job well, as well? As good of a hire on paper as that was, in hindsight, I mean, he did have Saquon Barkley and a really good quarterback when he was calling plays at Penn State. 
True, true. But so I mean, did uh, was, wasn't Russell Wilson for one year at, at Wisconsin? Yeah. They had good, they had top talent. They always had great running backs there. Yeah. Yeah, but in the end, at South at uh, Arkansas, wasn't it? He just didn't have enough good players. No, that's that's probably well, that's probably true for a lot of coaches. But yes, that that it, to sum it up, yes. Um, thinking about you know guys whose careers have taken pretty dramatic turns. Dan Enos, when he was the offensive coordinator at Arkansas under Brett Bielema, was considered to be creative and forward-thinking and did really good things with that offense with Brandon Allen at quarterback. How about the downhill spiral for him since? On Nick Saban's staff, remember he left like in the middle of the night and left nothing but a sharpened pencil on his desk? Yeah. Goes to Miami to be the offensive coordinator and gets canned after one year? Maybe if he had stayed a little longer at Arkansas, things would have turned out differently. Sports Talk Mississippi. That's your college football fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. We'll be right back. Let's go back to basketball. Four games tomorrow night. Mississippi State at Ole Miss. That one tips off at 6. Kentucky is at Vanderbilt. Arkansas is at Tennessee. Missouri is at LSU. And then on Wednesday night, you've got South Carolina at Georgia. Alabama at Auburn. Those two teams meeting for the second time this season. If I remember correctly, Alabama gave Auburn its first loss of the year. Yeah. In the first meeting. And Florida is at Texas A&M. Currently, in terms of the net... Auburn at number 15, LSU at 27, Arkansas 38. In the 40s, you get Mississippi State at 41, Bama at 42, Florida at 45. Tennessee's at 68, South Carolina 77, Georgia 91, Ole Miss trending up at 93. Missouri, after a home win against Arkansas, sits there at 96, so they had a pretty good jump over the weekend. Then you got A and M at one thirty six. They seem to be going in the opposite direction, and Vanderbilt at one fifty two. So games from this past weekend. I know you guys talked about it a little bit earlier, but hey, Dad, if we return to Mississippi State's win against Vanderbilt on Saturday night, it was good win. Trailed at the half, which is I think the fourth consecutive game that Mississippi State's trailed at the half. But clearly they were better. The thing to me right now about Vanderbilt, I don't think anybody is looking at Vanderbilt anymore as, oh, that's a pushover, that's an automatic win. They play really hard, and if they make threes, they got a chance to beat you. And they scored 99 against LSU in the middle of the week and played Mississippi State hard for an entire 40 minutes. Yeah, they definitely, uh, and we, we asked Ben Hallen about it, and you know it's a little, little coach speaky, but they don't play like a one-win SEC team. They play really hard. Uh, they're they're very well coached, and, and you're getting to see Stackhouse and some of the stuff you were talking about, how how you've seen a lot of them and what they're doing. It shows up there when when you see them live and in person. Um, and they, you know that that program's got a long way to go. But yes, State did not play its best game, especially for that five minute stretch, sort of ending the uh, the first half. But in the second half, they were able to take care of business with Reggie Perry and, and Nick Weatherspoon having a big day. Had a big day scoring. Didn't didn't wasn't his normal self passing the ball. And and, and uh, but that said. You know, on a day where Robert Woodard and DJ Stewart were both sort of off offensively, Weatherspoon picked them up and, and State got the win. 
Missouri beat Arkansas in overtime, 83-79. to It was a good win for Missouri. Arkansas had a nice game out of Reggie Chaney, one of their big-er guys. I'm hesitant to call anybody a big guy for Arkansas because 6'8 is the tallest on that entire roster. If you've got to play Arkansas, right now is when you want to play them with Isaiah Joe out of the mix because they just don't have much depth. Uh, Eric Musselman told me before the game on Saturday, look, one thing we can't afford is to get into foul trouble. You look up in overtime, they had three guys foul out including Mason Jones, and Mason Jones looked exhausted. He played 45 minutes, so every minute of regulation and all five minutes in overtime against Auburn in the uh, the middle of the week, and then turned and uh, turned. And he just couldn't make shots. It was like he didn't have any legs on, uh, on Saturday in that road loss. Arkansas still in pretty good shape. They're 16-7 and overall, and their net is good, but they're trending in the wrong direction right now. They can get better. If they can get Isaiah Joe back, the sooner the better. Uh, he had that debridement surgery on his knee just to kind of clean some stuff up in there. It went well. The expectation is he probably returns in two to three weeks for Arkansas. question is, though, is that too late? And how much of a skid will Arkansas go through in the, uh, the meantime? If it were not for the game that was played at Auburn, then Alabama-Georgia would have been the game of the weekend. 105-102 in overtime. Kyra Lewis had a career-high 37. Alabama got to 13-10 and 10 overall. And then when we looked at the net rankings a second ago, you see Alabama still at 42. That's why that uh, Joe Lunardi has them as a uh, an NCAA tournament team. Was it... Did Al- Let's see. Um, Alabama's already played Mississippi State once, right? Once, and they come back, they play them again. Uh, I think next Saturday is the date. I'm complete brain lock up right now. What was the result of the first one? Alabama won, Alabama 90, won that to game, 60, right? 90 to 69 was the final score of that game. Were you impressed with Alabama when you saw them? I did. I was the one I didn't see. I went to wrestling that night. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. Um, currently, Joe Lenardi has Baylor, Kansas, Gonzaga, and San Diego State as the one seeds. Last four in. Indiana, Stanford, East Tennessee State, and Virginia Commonwealth. Last four buys, Wichita State, Florida, Xavier, and Virginia. Currently five SEC teams in the field of 68. First four out, Cincinnati, the first four out, followed by Minnesota, then Mississippi State, despite the win over the weekend, and Arizona State. I feel like they dropped a lot after a win. Yeah, I mean they were on Friday they were in and uh on on Saturday after Saturday's game they they are not. So especially when you look at Florida and the way they've dropped and the way state has a home a, a road win over the Gators, you would think that state would be in over Florida, but not the case so far. I think Florida's non-conference strength of schedule was 5th in the country. That that's that's what's holding them up then. Yeah. They they had the, they keep, the strongest they keep non-conference games, of any matter. SEC team. Yeah. Say that again, I'm sorry. If they keep losing games, though, it doesn't matter, which is yeah, no, what they're right. on course to do. Yeah. So, it's, the last four in was ETSU, Steve Forbes team, so he's projecting an at-large for the SOCON? I guess so. I don't know. I just know they have a pretty good team and a pretty good program, but the SOCON doesn't usually get a ton of at-large teams. Well, you had Wofford a couple years ago Yeah. with two of the awesome names of all time, what? 
Fletcher McGee and Storm Murphy <laughs> just jacking up triples. I'm impressed that you remember that. Well, ETSU has a <clears throat> net of 43 for whatever that's worth. That and part of the reason they do is because they have a win in Baton Rouge against LSU. Yeah. So that, that win is continuing to play well. Auburn, LSU was fantastic. An 11 a.m. tip, Auburn Arena was packed to the gills. Everybody's now calling that place the jungle. I guess they self-named it or whatever. John Rothstein. Oh, does he get credit for that? Auburn basketball, welcome to the jungle. Ah, fair enough. Shirts in the mail. Uh, yeah, he's got some T-shirts, doesn't he? What, Auburn was down, was it eight with a minute and a half to play? Is that right? That sounds right. They were down by more than that, though, throughout the game. They were down 15 at one point in the first half. They were down 30 to 15 early in the game. Yeah, yeah. Trailed by 12 at the break. They outscore LSU 44-32 in the second half and then edged them in overtime 91-90. Javon McCormick hit the game winner. And you want to talk about one of those where if you're a fan, it feels like the world stops. He, he throws that floater up, and it hits on the back iron and then kind of kicks high and then hangs on the front iron, and it falls through, and they get the win. And that place went absolutely bonkers, 91-90. to 90. Kentucky, no trouble with Tennessee, 77-64. to 64. South Carolina beat Texas A&M by 20. And I guess that's it. Those are the results from the weekend in the uh, in the SEC. So when you look to these matchups tomorrow night, obviously our focus is on Mississippi State and Ole Miss. Kentucky, it feels like, should not have any trouble with Vanderbilt. But you thought that with LSU going into Vanderbilt last week. And Vanderbilt gave Kentucky a game a few weeks ago. They did. You're right. That was at Rupp. And they went like hit a bunch of threes and led until about... What? They Five or six minutes left in the yeah. game? Yeah, deep in the game, yeah. Yeah. That may have been kind of the turning point from a confidence standpoint for Vanderbilt. Uh, they've had uh, Maxwell Evans has played really well for them over the last couple of ball games. made some shots. Um, Saban Lee's a good player. At, at Vanderbilt team, you know, just such a huge injury when Aaron Neesmith went out. He went out averaging 23 points a game. That still would be best in terms of scoring in the uh, in the SEC. Arkansas at Tennessee tomorrow night. This feels like a Tennessee win. Man, this is a big game for Arkansas. They they really it need really it. is, really is. And then Missouri at LSU. You feel like LSU after losing two last week probably bounces back in a pretty big way. Yeah, I think so. So, those are the games that are coming up tomorrow night. I mentioned a second ago, home court advantage matters. Mississippi State's had a nice home court advantage in its last couple of ball games. It's helped them. You saw the home court advantage for Auburn. Uh, there's a big push from uh, Ole Miss and Kermit Davis to try and fill up the pavilion and uh, make it a difficult spot. Ole Miss has done a pretty good job, especially with its students and kind of creating a, a good home court environment. They'll need that and maybe then some tomorrow night against the uh, Mississippi State team that I'd think is a pretty tough matchup. It's kind of when you look at individual matchups for uh, Ole Miss. Sports Talk Mississippi. Take a quick timeout. Be back with you after this. Who should be SEC Player of the Year in basketball? 
Ceasefire text line 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. Is Reggie Perry the leading candidate to be the SEC Player of the Year? I feel like it's between him and Nick Richards. I agree. We talked about that a little bit when those two teams played each other, about how that head-to-head matchup could maybe kind of sway your vote one way or the other. Yeah. Reggie Perry, fourth in the SEC in scoring at 17.4 per game and leads the SEC with 10 rebounds per game. He's averaging a double-double. Um, Nick Richards, 13th in the SEC in scoring, just a little better than 14.5 per game. Third in the league in rebounding at 8.3 per game. Beyond numbers, what do you need to see? I mean, because it was just numbers. Uh, no, no, uh, sorry. If it's just numbers, then Anthony Edwards has got to be in the conversation, right? Second yeah. in the SEC in scoring, just shy of 20. Top 20 in the SEC in rebounding. Um, it kind of does a little bit of everything. But they're not very good. Yeah. And Kentucky, just being better than Mississippi State, is, is helping Richards for sure. Perry's going to have a chance to, you know, when you look at State's schedule on the way out, I mean, it's just it's it's just weak. I hate to say weak because you just never know what's going to happen in the SEC, but I mean, State's a, a, a considerable favorite in most of the remaining games outside of this Arkansas game coming up. So there's a chance for Perry to put up some big numbers, and, I mean, he's been doing that throughout conference play. So if he continues to – if his numbers continue to rise and we finish the year at – you know, he's averaging 18 and a half, 19 points a game and 12, 13 rebounds. It's going to be difficult for anybody to, to beat him and not be SEC player of the year. Not to be that guy, but you could have both. Yeah, that's true. Have both. This is the, you have the coaches and the AP, and like they've done different ones in the past. Well, I mean, like, not only that, this is a, a league where we'll, a couple years ago, Monk and Thornwell. They'll, they'll put, you know, 12 guys on the first team, all SEC team, too. So, I mean, you just never know. To me, the other two names that are kind of sleeper-type names, and I heard Andy Kennedy talking about Brian Tyree on the uh, SEC Now show on Saturday night, that MVP Brian Tyree is not going to win that in the SEC this year. He is third in the league in scoring. Yeah, he does a lot of things, but if the were if the the award were most valuable for your player or for your, for a team then there's certainly an argument to be made that he's the most valuable player to his team in the SEC. Not most outstanding player in the league, but most valuable to his team. I think Mason Jones maybe fits that for Arkansas. He's the SEC's leading scorer at 20.5 points per game. And he is also top 20 in rebounding, top 20 in steals, and top 20 in assists. Sixth in steals. Uh, He's like... 17th or something like that in assists. One other category for Nick Richards, third in the SEC in blocks per game, 2.1 blocks. It feels like it would be hard to add more than those four names, though, to that award list. Reggie Perry, Nick Richards, Mason Jones at Arkansas, Brian Tyree at Ole Miss. Yeah, no, nobody else's name is just popping up. I mean, Auburn is a good team. LSU is a good team, but they don't have a guy that, that fits into there. 
Skyler Mays would be the candidate for LSU. He does yeah. a lot of things well. Yeah. Top 10 in scoring, top 10 in rebounding. Uh, no, he's not. Not top 10 in rebounding. He's actually playing the point primarily now for uh, for LSU. Um, Kyra Lewis at Alabama, Kyra Lewis Jr. Who would it be if it was going It would have to be Samir Dowdy for Auburn if you were going to have an Auburn player on the list, right? Yeah, I was thinking either him or McCormick, but yeah. Yeah. I don't know that I can buy into that with with McCormick. Um, right. In terms of MVP of the league. I just keeps every time I see them play, he's making big shots. That's a good point. He certainly has done uh, a lot of that. All right, so what were the biggest differences this weekend between football that you're used to seeing, whether it's college or the NFL, and the XFL, which, as I know you guys talked about in the first hour, is it did really well in terms of ratings. And we all want to see where it goes in week two and then week four. Is it able to kind of maintain a foothold? I don't think Borky it's going to average three and a half million viewers per game. Oh no! But can it stabilize at two million a game? That would be a really good number. Uh, I mean, yeah. the the NBA's TV contract is massive, and they, I mean, rarely go above one. So if they can sustain a league with more teams and a significantly higher payroll, I know there are more games, but follow me here. Then the XFL with two-ish million, million seven five a game, uh, that would be just fine, and they'd be happy with that. Spring programming does not do well. The March Madness it does extremely well, obviously the NBA Finals, but otherwise there is a lot of space in spring viewership to do well, and doing well does not mean you have to pull in even college football level numbers. So. That, that's the test. I think this weekend's the test. Said at the top, this past weekend, the AAF did a number that's almost identical to what the XFL did. It was yeah. week two and three and four where it fell completely off of a cliff. That'll be the test, is how they do this Saturday and Sunday. All four games drew more than 17,000 actual people, and they felt like that was a win. That's fine, and, man. They don't need like big stadiums and big atmospheres to work. The, the best setting was the first one, when they played at the soccer stadium in D.C. It's, uh, that's a perfect venue size for what they're trying to do. Well, and St. Louis without professional football is going to be an interesting te- test case, right? I mean, D.C.'s got a football team. New York's got two of them. Um, L.A.'s got a football team. Dallas has got a football team. Houston's got a football team. So it's a secondary thing there. St. Louis does not have a professional football team anymore. Which makes you wonder no. why they left Birmingham out. It's a good point. They Boston tried it stadium. with the AAF, though, and they just, until the new stadium's built there, they probably yeah. don't have the venue to support no, it. Nobody wants to go to Legion Field. But AAF, is, like, that's quite the short test case. I mean, the league folded because the guys... And the crowds were actually decent in Birmingham, but I think your point is a good one. Nobody wants to go to a game at Legion Field. Well, about Memphis? Kind of the same thing, right? There was a Memphis team, and weren't there like 8,000 people that showed up? Yeah, Memphis did not do well attendance-wise at all. It was actually yeah. it was pretty bad. I think the weather was not good, and it was cold and just yucky. Oklahoma City. 
Okay. I'll be on board with that. San Antonio? I mean, the San Antonio Maybe. almost got the Saints. They were one Wait, and- meeting away from getting an NFL team. Borky, if I remember correctly, San Antonio had an AAF team and they supported it really well. Yeah, they did, man. They, the uh, the Alamo they Dome, they deal, put 35,000 right? people in there again. Yeah. I was just thinking markets that didn't have a football team that you could maximize. Maybe that's their expansion plan. Maybe. There are people I know in my hometown that are already like going to start trying to lobby to get them to expand there. I'm talking media people and stuff, yeah. There's been I'd an like idea see... for years to build a stadium there, and so that they want to be the next like Birmingham, Memphis, the next market to get an expansion team from somewhere. More double passes. You like that, don't you? Well, I didn't ever see one. They just kept like Tom Hart teased it like 15 times, and it was like, how about somebody throw, pull one off? All right, so what about the differences? In terms of gambling, a lot of references in the broadcast. No extra points. You had no extra points. You could go for number you could go number one. You could go for one, two, or three from either the two yard line, the five yard line, or the ten yard line, is that right? Yep. And right. doing a number two seemed to be like the most efficient way unless you were down nine, because it's only a three yard difference between two and one. Yeah. Did anybody go um, for three all weekend? I didn't see one, but there was never yeah. a scenario to do it. But like, if you're like, I saw the the New York team kept going for a one, and I really didn't understand that. Think about this though. So in the Dallas St. Louis game, for a while that game was twelve to nine. If, well, now that wouldn't have worked. Yeah, would have touchdown eight. I mean, let, let, let's say that you had been down, if you were down twelve to three, scored a touchdown to make it twelve nine. Like his time was expiring, and you could go for three to send it to overtime? Yeah. That'd be kind of cool. That'd be awesome. Well, that's yeah. also changed the way you handle the math, because uh, St. Louis had it late, and like kicking a field goal to make it 18-9 to wouldn't have put them up two scores, guaranteed. Well, that's a good point. So is there a new card that coaches have on <laughs> when to go for it and how many to go for? They're ignoring it, though. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.